give life, you are love, you bring light to the darkness, you give hope, you restore every heart that is broken, and great are you, Lord, it's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise, pour out our praise, it's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise to you only. Please stand with us and sing. You give life, you are love, you bring light to the darkness, you give hope, you restore every heart that is broken and great are you Lord it's your breath in our lungs so we pour out our praise pour out our praise it's your breath in our lungs so we pour out our praise to you only and all the earth will shout your praise and all the earth will shout your praise our hearts will cry these bones will sing great are you lord and all the earth will shout your praise our hearts will cry these bones will sing Great are you, Lord. Let's shout it out one more time. And all the earth will shout your praise. Our hearts will cry. These bones will sing. Great are you, Lord. It's your best. seated as we prepare ourselves to hear the message. Don't leave yet, kids. <laughs> I know we've trained you, but we'll have it come up on the screen in a minute. 
we got a few uh, fun things to do. Uh, first off, we, we at Richview do this. Uh, we do what's called wet baptisms, and we do dry baby dedications. So if you're not familiar with that, that's what we practice here at Richview. And we think uh, immersion by baptism is what the Bible teaches for believers. And we do this thing called dry child dedications as a way for parents to commit their child to the church and for the church family to own the responsibility of coming alongside that family, that child, and supporting them prayerfully and, and, and in all ways. Psalm 127 says this, Don't you see that children are God's best gift? So this is an occasion to celebrate and remember God's goodness. So I want to invite Loyane. Oh, they're right up here. Look at this. This is great. Come on up here. And, uh, and uh, um, yeah, come on up. And you all have to introduce yourselves. Look at everyone. I can see your faces, and you're all down here. This is great. So come on up here. Yeah, absolutely. And can you introduce this bundle of joy to us? This is Nayella. This is Nayella. And that's the full name? Nayella Grace Woodrum. Did you hear that? <laughs> Nyla Grace Budram. I'm Romario Budram. And I'm Loyanne McGowan. Fantastic. Let's give them a hand for being brave today. So I want to ask you a couple questions, and don't worry, I, I already preempted them on this, so they're not completely on the spot. But hey, let me come down to you here. Do you, as parents of this child, recognize them as a gift of God entrusted to you by God? Yes. All right. Do you give your children, your child back to the Lord today, trusting them to fulfill his purpose in their life? Yes. Scripture commands us as parents to teach our children about Jesus. Deuteronomy 6, 4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, with all your strength. And with your children, with your homes, with everything. Uh, talk to them about it. As you walk along the road, talk to them about it. With your house and on your door, uh, put his words on the door as symbols. Bind them to your head, bind them to your heart so that your child knows God's ways are the best ways. With this in mind, will you seek by example, by love, by prayer, by discipline, by instruction? in the strength of the Spirit of God to effectively communicate the message of God's love so that early in their life, this precious child would trust them to be their sin forgiver, their life, uh, life giver, and help them grow in their relationship with Jesus? Yes. Right on. So you can't do this alone. You really can't do this alone. And this is where all of you, we have a responsibility today um, and to let you know that you need a caring community to come along and assist you, to hold you accountable. Uh, definitely you can tell it's going to be a lot of work um, to pray for you, to encourage you. Mom and dad, by your, uh, can you, will you ensure by your example and your training that your child will be a part of a community of faith where the Bible is taught, where they can be strengthened, where they can sing and teach, uh, and they can be not nurtured in their walk of the Lord? Right on, right on. Um, I guess I, I guess I'll. Uh, are you? You think this is a safe to do a handoff here? Yes. And we can just pray. <laughs> All right. All right. Oh my word, you are gorgeous. Wow. Hey, hi. I know I'm scary. Yes. 
church, will you come around this family and support them in prayer? Will you journey with them? Will you be with them? Will you commit to loving this child and all commit to doing everything we can to modeling for this child? Jesus' ways are the best ways and God's ways are the best way. If you're willing to do that, will you stand with me as we pray? Let me come down with you, Mom and Dad. I feel so elevated up here. (laughs) Heavenly Father, we thank you for this precious, precious gift. We thank you for loaning her to us. We thank you for just life and for being the giver of such good and great things. And God, we pray for this family. We as a church, um, we we just want to come alongside of them humbly, to love them, to pray for them, to come alongside of them, and, and, and through our lives, through both the physical, through spiritual, through every means possible, just do everything we can to uh, point and direct and lead this precious treasure to you. Jesus, thank you for being our shepherd. Thank you for being the ultimate God we need in our lives. And may we as a church just surround this precious family and this precious treasure in every way conceivable so that they come to know you and they grow in you and they be that kind of person that you designed and created for them to be in every way imaginable. We thank you and thank you for this time to celebrate. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. You're so good, thank you. And I have a certificate for you upstairs, but also a book I love getting to new parents. It's for the kids, but you might enjoy it as well. So um, bless you both, and God go with you. Yes. Yeah, that's worth a clap. All right. Uh, Kids, you got to stay for one more thing. I'm going to have some, where's Lori? Hey, Lori, come on up. Lori's going to do a quick interview for me. Um, Lori, thanks for being my victim, I mean guest today. And uh, uh, one thing from last week, we got chatting about, and this table's going to be in the way, so I'll just stoop low. We got chatting about last week is um, how to hear God's voice. And uh, Lori agreed to just answer a couple questions about what it looks like for her to have a chair to connect with Jesus, to talk to God. And I just got a couple very general questions for Lori. And, uh, and I, hope, I hope in this time together, you just learn a little bit about how she communicates and connects with God. Lori, just, just a simple, generic one. Why is it important for you to connect with Jesus? Oh, you might need a mic. That might be a good idea. I don't know. You are gold, so I don't know. Um, it's important for me to spend time alone with God because he is my lifeline to living. Um, that's if I don't spend time with God alone, then I'm not going to know what his voice sounds like when he speaks to me. Hmm. A few years ago, God gave me a gift, one of the best gifts besides the son of his, G- of his son, Jesus. He gave me a gift in the form of a Christian-based program called Celebrate Recovery. I thought I was living for God. I was raised in a Christian home, and I thought I was living my life for him. But you see, I didn't spend time with God alone. I was struck in a sin that held me bound in captivity for most of my life. And because of that, I thought God was ashamed of me, Hmm. and he walked away from me. But it was me that walked away from him because of what I was struggling with. And um, through this program, God brought a lot of different people into my life. 
who showed me how important it was to spend time every day with God. Because you see, I thought I was living in the truth. But in reality, I was living for Satan. And when I think of Satan, I think of, you know, maybe that little red devil kind of a thing. But it's anything that pulls me away from God. The sin that held me in captivity. Um, when I kept giving into that, I was living for God, Satan. When my iPad pulls me away from my time with God, I'm not living for him. And so, um, I, so when they told me about this program and they helped me, um, then I was able to see the more time I spent with God, alone with him, that I realized that it wasn't God that I was hearing. I was listening to the enemy. And by spending time with him, I realized that um, by immersing myself in the word, that I really started to realize God's truth mm. and not the lies of the enemy any longer. And so for me, it's extremely important to spend time alone with God. So, so what does that look like? What does it look like for you to get alone with God specifically? For me, it's getting up early. I wake up, I... So you already lost three quarters of the people there, so... Um, but that's fine, this is her. This helps you great. This is my journey, not your journey. Everyone's <laughs> different. I lived in sin so long that I wanted to live now. I wanted a life. I was tired of living the way I was living. How it is for me, it doesn't matter if I go to bed early or I go to bed late. And so what does that time look like? 5.30 in the morning. Okay. So not even literally time, but that time when you get together, is it just... Oh, I get up. Yeah. I think it's extremely important to give God the first of my life. Hmm. So before I get my feet on the floor, I give him that time. I have a devotional sitting by my bed, and um, I read it before I hit my, the feet, my feet hit the floor. I get up and spend over an hour with him in the morning. I watch the movie War Room and turn half of my closet into a war room. I spend time with him in prayer. I read his word. Um, I do a devotional on you version of the different devotionals that God uses. Um, listen to Christian tapes. But I, um, it's important for me to spend that time with him before I go mm. out in so, to the world. So, and this is once again for you, very specific, but I think this is helpful for people to hear. Why is this so difficult for us to do daily? It's Besides, difficult. I mean, it doesn't have to be early, but why? Why is this one of the hardest things for most of us to build this habit into our lives? For me, yeah. it was um, because um, I didn't like to pray. Um, I used to watch people or listen to them, and they used to use really, really big words. That was not my vocabulary, and I felt uncomfortable. But God gave me a job to do, and my friend was gravely ill in the hospital, and because I had been spending time with him, I heard him very clearly say, Lori, I want you to pray with her. And I said to God, no, I wasn't going to do that because I was terrified. I didn't know how to pray. I hung up that phone that day, and I felt very guilty, and I said, God, forgive me. Give me one more chance, and I'll ask her to pray with me. And the next day, I prayed awful hard that she would say no. But she's, well, I did. But she said yes, and I was petrified because I didn't know how to pray. But I wasn't praying. I was praying she was so ill. 
And um, I just asked um, God to give me the words, and he took me on an amazing journey. Mm. God called her home, and but before she passed away, I was able to lead her to the Lord. She mm. was saved, um, she thought she was saved, but we wanted to make sure. If I hadn't spent time with God through that program being taught, then I would not have heard his voice. I would not have heard him say, Lori, I want you to um, ask to pray with your friend, and maybe she wouldn't be in heaven today. Mm, so for, it is hard, but you know what? For me, it's my life. It's like I want to live for him now. I want to make something of my life, and I want to matter for him. Right on. Thank you. I got one last one for you. You're doing really, really well. Uh, <laughs> where would you encourage people to start? I think everyone's journey is different. I think you need to start, if you're not a prayer person, just start where you are now. Let me tell you, you don't have to use big words. It's like sitting across from your friend talking to them. You can pour out your heart with anything. I don't believe God, Satan wanted me, I don't believe Satan wanted me to come here today. I've been in a huge battle this week. It was so consuming for me. But I was taught through that program to persevere through anything. Five minutes. And let me tell you, when you spend five minutes, five minutes, God brought you into this world. He gave you life. And you, and five minutes is, to me is nothing. For me to spend an hour is nothing. I just want to spend more and more time with him. So I think to start out simple, you can pray anywhere. You can pray walking out. You can pray in your car. You can wait, pray or walk waiting for the bus, because let me tell you, if you listen to the news, the enemy is so desperate to get people. He's calling people through their tablet. He's calling them through their phone, through TV, and um, we have to make that time for him. Thank you. You're Bless you. Can we just pray for Lori right now? Yeah. God, I just want to thank you for Lori and her journey. Thank you for just her courage and sharing today. And for all of us, God, may we just be encouraged, exhorted to um, just take that next step, whether it's one minute, maybe it's just, uh, cr just creating that time and space, but whatever it is, God, give us that strength, that desire, that desperation just to know you more, to uh, have that chair where we just uh, curl up and give you our undivided attention. Just give us that urgency and that desperately, desperateness for more of you. Bless our dear sister today in your precious name. Amen. Thank you. All right, kids. You can go to your class if you haven't already. Or maybe they did. Oh, look at them. Wow, that's great. So patient. Yeah. Now the rest of you are stuck with me. Yeah. Wow. All right, we better talking about chairs, and last week we talked about where's your chair. If you weren't here, we're starting a series on how to hear God's voice and how to hear his voice clearly, and, and one of the things that consumes me is things I value, I make time for, so I like to curl up with my chair. Often, it's even here at the office, I like to curl up with my cup of joe, the liquid, not the person, um, and just spend time talking to the creator of the universe, spending time looking to the creator of the universe.
And over these next few weeks, we're going to talk very specifically and very practically about where's your chair, that when you pray, you can expect answers, that God does speak, and he speaks in a number of ways. We're going to get really practical and, and really serious and specific, but the question I have for you once again, like last week, do you have a chair? And maybe it is a closet like Lori shared. Maybe it's a place. Maybe it's the front seat of a car. Maybe it's a subway car. Maybe it's a walk in the park. Maybe it's a lazy boy, Chesterfield, what have you. But where's that place? Where's that time and space you create for the, for the creator of the universe? We're going to go to Mark and keep tracking through Mark here. I have a ton of notes today, if you've noticed, and we are just going to fly through them really fast because there's a lot to talk about. But we're going to start in Mark chapter 11, verse 20. Mark chapter 11, verse 20. And we're still continuing through here. And it goes like this. Very famous passage. If I can find it. There it is. In the morning, as they went along, they saw a fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them, so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. So it's a bit of a confusing passage because there's a lot going on here, but we kind of get this idea that if we have prayer and faith and it's strong enough, we can literally move mountains. That sounds really good, especially if I'm a construction worker in the Rocky Mountains. But very, very, like, that's the kind of power. But I don't know about you, but in my life, like Lori was sharing too, I've done prayer vigils for dying people. I prayed for people who have been sick with cancer. And I pray for other very, very huge things, at least in my estimation. Friends who are lost, family that's lost, and I've often felt like there's been no response. And maybe you've been there. Maybe you're there today. I'm still praying for those things, and I'm still praying like this. And then you come across a verse like Mark eleven twenty four, and it says, Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. So it's like I get my chair, I, car- I get rid of the distractions, I sit down, I get my cup of joe, maybe I get my journal, my pen, and I reflect on Mark chapter 11. God, I need some mountains moved in my life. I, I need this big thing done. And nothing happens, and I think for some of us, we've been there, and we're like, well, why bother Why bother trying? So instead of a sermon on why you should pray this morning, I thought we would be practical, efficient, and effective and talk this morning about prayers that God answers. How does that sound? Good idea? Imagine praying prayers that God answers. Sounds like a pretty good idea to me. So why don't we do that? Let me take you back to 2 Corinthians 7.14. If my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. 
This is an incredible verse if, if you read through it. It's a promise from God that if you do these four things, I will do these three things. If you will humble yourself, pray, seek my face, and turn from your wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, yes, I will forgive their sins, your sins, and I will heal your land, their land. Sounds like a pretty good promise, doesn't it? So if this is where we go, if we do these four things, we can expect God to respond with these three things, and he will hear us. Sounds like a pretty effective recipe here. So let's start at the beginning here. Here's some of the things we need to do. First thing is we need to humble ourselves. We'll humble themselves. What is that? That's, that's confession. That's I blew it, God. I screwed up. I messed it. I humbly confess my sins. God doesn't really like prideful complaining. Doesn't really like it. But he does respond to humility. God says, resist the proud, and, and he gives grace to the humble. Now, some of us think that if we confess our sins to God, what's going to happen? Lightning, right? We're going to get struck by a streetcar. Some other bad thing's going to happen. But hang on a minute. God already knows your sins. So why do we need to confess them if he already knows that? It's not like he's up there going, oh, man, I missed that one. Or I, I didn't see that one coming. God already knows every stupid thing you've done. Already. He just wants you to admit it. It's for your own humility. And how does God respond when I admit I blew it? Does he respond with punishment? Never. When God hears you be humble, he doesn't respond with punishment, but with blessing, with forgiveness, with mercy, with grace. Most of us know 1 John 1, 9, but if you don't, it's if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And it's not like I'm going to come out and admit and then God's going to take me down. The thing that's going to take you down in life is your pride, not your humility. And God's like, humble yourself. If you come to me humbly, hey, I blew it. You know that stuff I said yesterday, it wasn't right? You know, you know the way I talked about my kids? That wasn't right. You know what I did to my coworker? That was wrong. And, and if you admit it to God, he keeps short accounts. So we got to humbly confess. Humbly confess what we did wrong. Number two. So the first one's humble yourself. Number two, and pray. Now that's a pretty big one because that's kind of what we're talking about over these next few weeks. But, but in this context, that's pleading. That's pleading to God. God, I'm sorry I did not seek your counsel. I'm sorry I didn't come to you. That's why I made a dumb decision, and now I'm paying for it. Prayer is more than asking. As Lori even said, it's communicating with God. It's praising God for himself. It's confessing our sins. It's asking for our desires. So many of us, we've been brought up, and our prayers are cut and dry. It's like, now I lay myself down. Do you know that prayer? Maybe only I know. Now I lay myself down to sleep. My, does anyone know this? Oh, I sold to keep. If I should die before I wake. Okay, there's, I'm not that old yet. Okay, good. Okay. <laughs> that prayer means nothing. Nothing. Or the one we like to throw around at, at lunchtime. Uh, bless the hands that provided this. 
or bless this food to our bodies. I always laugh when people do that one because what's wrong with the food that God has to bless it? And I guess it's the restaurant you're eating from, but, but those prayers, why do we do that? There's no authenticity. It's just something we heard, and so it's something we parrot back. God does, and hear this clearly, God does not care what your prayers, what your prayer, how beautiful your prayer sounds. God cares less about your words and a lot more about your emotions. God does, in fact, I think sometimes God cares so very little about our words, he cares so much about our emotions. Husbands, men, this one's to you, especially if you've already proposed to somebody. Have you ever learned that the wrong word, the right words with the wrong emotions don't go over too well? It's like you're sitting down with this girl you're about to propose to. <sighs> Will you marry me? <laughs> Girls, do you get that? Do you like that? Is that, does that work for you? We need to express our desires with our emotions. We got to demonstrate our seriousness. Prayer, it's an expression of faith. What's the, what's the most important thing we can ask of God? Let me show you a picture here. And this is called the Herodian. And let me read back to you from Mark here, that where you were just in. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. I tell you the truth, if anyone says to this mountain... Go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be your, your, yours. Now, according to scholars, this was the very mountain that Jesus was saying, if you have faith, you can move this mountain. What's interesting is that mountain is a man-made mountain. And it was made by a guy called Herod the Great. So scholars have argued, is Jesus just making like a landscaping prayer here? Or is he making a, some kind of political statement here? What's he trying to do? Does God want us to ask for big things like political upheaval? Or does he want us just to change the landscape? Can we actually move mountains? Is that the point of what Jesus is trying to get across here? We need to pray for... And when you really look at this passage in its context, because this passage gets all sorts messed up, the greatest, largest, hugest, most amazing, most difficult prayer you could ever ask God is what? That he would deal with the problem of reconciling people to him. That's the greatest prayer, is that you and I be made right with the creator of the universe. Impossible with human strength. Would you agree? That's the greatest prayer. That's the greatest prayer we could ever ask for God that he deals with this sin problem, this thing that's disconnecting us from the Almighty. And in this passage, Jesus here, he tethers faith with prayer. And he says, what does faith look like? And then he unpacks faith. And he adds this one little thing at the end of the passage. He says, faith looks like forgiveness. Faith shows itself by forgiveness. You need, you need faith and prayer, but also if you want faith, you have to have forgiveness, and faith shows itself by forgiveness. And because God forgives us, we should forgive others. And so when we go to God with prayer and we're expecting God to respond, 
but we're angry with someone, we're ticked off with someone, what should we expect God's response to be? And without regularly forgiving others, we question whether we understand God at all. We need to pray with faith. We need to pray with forgiveness. But that's so hard sometimes, isn't it? It's so hard. Pastor, do you know what they've done to me? Do you know how much they've hurt me? Do you see what we've done to God? Do you see how we've treated God? And God still looks at us, and he treats us like he treats his own son. I love you so much. I'll give up everything for you. And, he, and then he ends, ends up suffering and dying for us. And when you and I treat him the way we do, and he treats us the way he does, our response needs to be with everybody. I need to forgive you. There is nothing anyone can do in this life to you that is not beyond forgiveness. There is nothing horrible enough another person can do to you that you can't forgive them for. And it's not that we don't struggle in this area, church. I'm not trying to be contrite, like, forget it. That's not what we're talking about at all. But we have to have this constant pattern of laying things down to God. Forgive as our Father in heaven has forgiven us. You get that? When you pray, you should forgive others. You want God to hear your prayers? You want God to hear your prayers? Yes! All three of us. Fantastic. You need forgiveness for the reality of faith. We can disagree on all sorts of stuff around here, but we can't disagree about forgiving one another as we unite around Jesus. That is something we cannot give up your grudges. Trust and cling to God, to Jesus, more than ever before. Help him rid you of those shackles of hatred if they're there. Third one here. Got two to go here. And seek my face. This is what we got to do. We got to seek God's face. You got my attention, God. You got it. Focus our attention on God. This is the third step in what we need to do, that God calls us to do. Husbands, let me give you another straight talk here. I know I'm kind of just picking on husbands today. Um, and fiancés, even guys, just be scribbling notes. I've learned a very, very valuable lesson in my short 15 years in marriage. When you're sitting with that wife, fiance, girlfriend, or whatever, when they're talking to you, they absolutely love it when you turn your head and look at them. <laughs> they literally, they love it when you turn your head and look them in the eyes. Un they, they even smile. It's unbelievable, church. Guys, write it down. I'm telling you, Heather loves it. When she starts talking and I turn and I look at her in the eyes, man, she loves it. Because when you turn and face someone, what does it indicate? You've got my undivided attention. There's a few people who I have coffee with regularly. I love pulling up a chair with them, and, I, and they very, very intentionally, they'll take their phone and they'll turn it off or put it on vibrate and stuff it away because they want to make sure there's something special about having someone's un.
undivided attention. The highest gift, church, you can give someone is your undivided attention. My kids are always like, look at me, Daddy. Daddy, you're not paying attention. And then I'll turn my face. They want eye-to-eye contact. Turning your face shows attention. Do you know that you can actually do this with God? Did you know that? You can actually turn your face to God in prayer. Now, how do you do that physically? I told you we're going to be practical in this series. What do you do? Look up. Look up. Physically look up. God, I'm here. I'm ready to talk. You got my undivided attention. You got it. And I'm, I'm here to check in for my fourth time today. Let's have this conversation. There is nothing in scriptures that says you have to bow your head to pray. Look up. There's nothing in the Bible that says you have to close your eyes to pray. It's one of the ways to pray. Those are good ways to pray. They're good ways. But many times in the Bible, you do not see people closing their eyes to pray. They look up. They talk aloud. I like to pray aloud to God. I don't know about you, but I do because I find when I just mumble it in my head or say something in my head, I lose concentration. I, I find when I read my Bible out loud, I, it keeps me more focused. And I find when I talk out loud to God, it, it keeps me more from my mind wandering to all sorts of other things um, as well. God, I'm turning your, my face to you. I'm talking to you. It's a physical reminder that we're refocusing our attention. Still, it's one of those things like praying with your eyes closed, a little tricky when you're driving. But the rest of the time, hey, grab your seat, whether you're inside or outside, in the park, look up. It's a great way to do that. It's a great way to say, God, you got my full attention. Anytime we ignore God, anytime we, we don't go to God for help, ask his guidance, don't ask for his blessing. When we don't ask for his permission, for his wisdom, do you know what God does? He's like, okay. I'm just going to back off. I'm going to just back out of your life. I know when I'm not invited, so I'm just going to hang out over here, and I'm going to let you enjoy the results of your dumb decision. Go right ahead. I'm just going to go back to heaven, and I'll wait. And God says, I could have saved you all sorts of effort and trouble if you just sought me. Give me your undivided attention. Seek me out. Seek my face. It'll save you from all sorts of awful pain, heartache, and discouragement. Unless you want those things, church. Last one here. And turn from their wicked ways. You want to pray prayers that God hears. You want to be led by God's spirit. And I got a couple here. And some of these are tough. But we got to turn from our wicked ways. First of all, I can't follow a culture that doesn't follow God. I can't follow a culture that doesn't follow God if I'm trying to follow God. If I'm trying to be led by God's Spirit, if I'm trying to hear God's voice, you, you can't run in two directions at the same time. You can't chase two rabbits at the same time. You can't serve God and money. You can't serve God and, and, and pornography. You can't serve God and something else that's good. You can't have two number ones. And most people in life, they make decisions based on what's acceptable in culture. We just want to fit in. You know, if they're doing it, 
I'm going to do it. If they're not doing it, I'm not going to do it. I don't want to stick out. I don't want to stir the pot. I don't want to rock the boat. When in Rome, do as the Romans. And many believers today, many followers of Jesus, our standards are simply um, determined by what's politically correct, culturally correct, what everyone else is doing. And one of the weaknesses of culture is that it's temporary. It's fleeting. You know, it's like, what's the latest style? And then what happens with style a year later? It's out of style. So you have to wait another 30 years till it's back in style, right? What goes around comes around, whatever. First John 2, 17, it's a great verse. The world and all of its desires passes away. But the person who does the will of God shall live forever. Okay, so that, that, that one was easy, wasn't it? Let's just get a little bit more personal here. If I want to be led by God's spirit, not wicked ways, I can't follow friends who aren't led by God. So if I have friends that are going in the complete opposite direction, I can't follow them if they're going the opposite direction of God. I can't, it, I can't let my friends who aren't following God influencing me. I can't let those friends set my agenda for life. One of the reasons we don't hear God's voice is because we're so busy listening to these friends' voices that don't want anything to do with God. Let's go do this. Let's go do that. Let's drink this. Let's eat that. Let's go here. Let's talk like this. Let's watch that. You can't follow friends that aren't led by God. 1 John 3 says this, Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. So, I mean, if you have a friend who's habitually sinning, I mean, they're living, maybe it's like one affair after another one, and they're bragging about it at work, and you're listening to them, are you just following along with them? And I'm not suggesting at all that you should give up your non-Christian friends, church. Of course not. That's the last thing you should do. So listen, just loud and clear here. God wants you to have friends that aren't believers. In the first place, we're commanded to love everybody. You're not allowed to not love anybody. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you're to love everybody. We're even commanded to love our enemies. So if we're commanded to love people who hate us, criticize us, attack us, we don't get a choice. We're to love everybody. God wants you to use wants to use you to bring everyone to Christ. Every day when you go to work, though, or you go to school, or you're in the neighborhood, you have to decide, and I like this metaphor, I find it very helpful, whether you're going to be a therm thermostat or a thermometer. A thermometer just reflects what the temperature is of the, of the environment. I mean, if everyone's talking dirty there, then you're going to talk dirty. They're doing this, I'm going to do that. A thermometer just reveals what the culture's like. But a thermostat, what does a thermostat do? That's the thing that gets you in fights with your roommates. But a thermostat either goes up or it goes down. It gets hot or cold, and God wants us to be thermostats. He doesn't want us to be influenced. He wants us to be influencing others. Love the world, church, but don't love the world's value system. So just, just recap, I can't follow a culture that doesn't follow God. I can't follow friends who aren't led by God. Got a couple more here. Another wicked thing we got to cast aside. I can't look to other sources besides God. If, I, if I'm looking for 
direction in my life, it can't come from a TV show. The best place to find direction is the owner's manual. It's God's word. It's, it's going to God and his word, talking to the creator, giving the creator your full attention. That's where you're going to find what you need to do about your life. You can't go to any other sources besides God. And there's so many sources out there, and we know this, that want to tell you how to run your life. Do you know in ancient times how they would figure out what to do next? Anyone know? They would consult the liver. <laughs> so Romans are going into battle. You were wondering what that smell was this morning. Romans go into battle. Babylonians go into battle. Other ancient tribes go into battle. They would pull out the largest organ out of the first kill the animal, pull out the organ, and consult the liver. Should I go into battle? Should I marry this person? Should I do this or that? And somehow they would like look at this. Uh, okay, I need to go shopping at Costco later today. Um, I guess that's what. And, that's, and that went on for hit, uh, years and centuries. And centuries, they would go to the liver, this precious big organ, and consult it for direction in life, predicting the future. There's another great example of this in the Bible. It's in Ezekiel 21, and it says this. The king of Babylon now stands at a crossroads, un uncertain of whether or not to attack. So you got the king, he's about to attack Jerusalem, and the text says this. So his advisors will cast lots by shaking arrows from the quiver. So, so basically, they would pull the arrows out of the quiver, throw them on the ground, and somehow it would just tell them what to do next. Now, does that kind of stuff still happen today? Flipping a coin, palm reading shops, tarot reading shops. There's these things called horoscopes, crystal balls, madams. Why do people go to those things? Why do they do that? Because they don't want a boss in their life. They want the future, but they don't want God. They want a Lord, sorry, they don't want a Lord, they don't want someone they have to serve. And if you're following the stars, you're not following the sun. That's S-O-N. If, if you're not following the sun, you're not following God. And there's so many counterfeits out there. The scriptures tell us that Satan and angels masquerade, uh, de sorry, demons masquerade as agents of light. First John 4 says this, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. You can't follow culture. You can't follow friends who are not following God. You can't look to other sources besides God, like di these divination things. And I got two more to go here, so stick with me, but these are going to get a little bit more personal. Fourthly, I must stop being led by my circumstances. I must stop being led by my circumstances. So maybe those other three weren't relatable to you, but this one probably is. I'm amazed at how many children of God, followers of Jesus, determine God's will through their circumstances. You know, I, I missed the plane, so it must have been God's will. My alarm clock didn't go off this morning. It must have been God's will that I didn't go to church. The offering plate missed my aisle. I guess it's God's will that I don't tie today. I mean, we, we can f fill in the blank, go through it, right? Uh, 
how many times have we thought that something circumstantial was like an open door when in fact it ended up being a trap door? You just can't trust circumstances. I could give you tons and tons of biblical examples. One of my uh, one of the more famous ones is a story found in 2 Samuel chapter 11. It's about, guy, about a guy named King David. And King David sent all his soldiers off to battle. He stayed in the palace. And he had all his extra time in his hands, so he's having trouble sleeping. So he went up on the palace roof one day and saw a woman completely naked uh, swimming in a pool on an opposite roof. And all of a sudden, well, I'm here, she's there. And next thing you know, they have an affair. He gets her pregnant. Uh, she... She, um, he has to murder her, her husband, and so on and so forth. But, you know, wasn't that God's will? Didn't those circumstances just kind of fall into place? Do you know that Satan can manipulate circumstances? And you need to be aware of that, church. So always check your circumstances against God's word. Always do that. Always go to that. And what I mean by that is you don't use this. You don't use your circumstances to discern God's will. You use it to confirm God's will. Let me give you one more stop on this path of wicked road we have to get off. And this one's tough. This one's really tough for me. I cannot be led by my feelings. I cannot be led by my feelings. I want to be led by God's spirit. I don't want to be led by my feelings because our, our feelings lie to us. Most of us know feelings are temporary. You feel great euphoria on your wedding day, but that passes. You feel great euphoria when you're at Disney World, unless there's long lines, but it, but it passes. The same's true on the other side of the, uh, the coin. If you're depressed or discouraged, that's temporary. No emotion stays the, at the same level intensity. This too will pass. And you can't be led by your feelings because your feelings aren't permanent. They're just temporary. And it's a common mistake we make when we just say things like, I'm just going to let my conscience be my guide. How do you know that those feelings you have are having isn't from just some great hamburger you ate an hour earlier? <laughs> the Bible says the heart is deceitful. Do you know you lie to yourself more than to anyone else? And just because you think it, it doesn't make it true. Just because someone else thinks it, doesn't make it true. Just because everyone, a lot of people, and it's popular, uh, think it, doesn't make it true. Something is true because it's true. Truth is simply truth. It's either right or it's not right. And most of us make these, what we think are best decisions based on how we feel. And, and we say things like, you know what, I just have this peace about it. I just have this sense, this peace that this is the right way. This is God's will. This is God's plan. You can't go by your feelings because feelings lie. Peace is a good thing. I'm not trying to discount that. But it's not enough to base life decisions on. Satan can give you a false peace. Did you know that? Proverbs 14, 12 says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. You want prayers that God answers? These are the things you gotta stop doing. So we do these four things with all the subpoints. We do these four things. 
Now it's God's turn. And he's like, I will do these three things. And this is really quick here because we get to talk about this for eternity. Then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sins, and I will heal their land. I don't know what you need healing in today, but God does. Healing in your mind, healing in your heart, healing in your body, healing in your business, healing in your finances, healing in your relationships, healing of your fears, healing in our nation. Anyone need some healing today? If my people who are called by my name, God says, will humble themselves. I blew it, God. I blew it. And pray. I'm pleading, God. I'm seeking you out, God. You got my undivided attention. I will hear from heaven. I'll forgive their sins. I'll heal their land. And as we move now into a time of remembering what Jesus did with communion, I want to do one very last thing here, and I want to finish this very, very foreign passage of Scripture, which talks about fig trees, faith, and forgiveness. And it starts this way. In the morning as they went along, the disciples saw a fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. It's a bizarre story. This is my pathetic attempt at a fig tree. (laughs) But it's a bizarre story, isn't it? Jesus earlier had cursed a fig tree. They come back later, and it's dead. What's going on there? What's the point of that? We're kind of removed from first century Middle Eastern um, agriculture. So some scholars believe the fig tree represents Jewish leadership. Some believe it represents the Jewish nation. So Jesus is symbolically... Some believe it's a temple, because the temple a few decades later is destroyed as well. I personally think it's talking about all of us. And symbolically, Jesus is saying, you have a curse on you, and something must be done about it. And just a few days later, Jesus went on another kind of tree, and all the curses that had been reserved for this got dumped on him. And like I started with this morning, what's the greatest, most important, mountain-moving prayer you could ever pray for one another, for yourself, that you would be reconciled with the creator of the universe? That the curse that separates you from him would be dealt with. And thanks be to God that the most mountain-moving prayer has been answered. And all you have to do is ask. May you go this week and pray in such a way that your heart's prepared and ready and anticipating God to answer. Let's pray. God, I thank you. And I know that we talked about a lot of things this morning. And I pray for every one of us here in this church, God, that we would anticipate you answering our prayers and we would go to you humbly in confession and prayerfully and and pleading. And we would look to you, perhaps with our voices and with our attention focused to you, Heavenly God, and our eyes open to the heavens 
and we would turn from our wicked ways and whatever things that are taking us off course. Um, maybe it's an issue of forgiveness. Maybe it's, yeah, we know we are just consuming so much stuff that is going in an opposite direction of you, God. God, help us to get back on track. God, we want healing in each and every one of our lives, in this church, in this city, and in this country. And we do want that most important prayer for everyone, to be reconciled with you and to know true peace, not false peace, not temporary peace. And that peace is only possible through you. Thanks for taking that curse of sin and hell on you. Thanks for living the life we couldn't possibly live and dying the death we all deserve. So that today, the most powerful and important and most incredible prayers is answered. We pray these things in your precious name. Amen. Before he died, Jesus ate a Passover meal with his disciples. At the table, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke the bread, and he said, this bread is my body. It's given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, he took a cup of wine, and he said, another strange thing. He said, this cup is my blood, a new covenant with you. Every time you drink this cup, remember me. When we eat and drink today, we are going to remember Jesus' death on the cross. He gave his life as a perfect sacrifice so that our sins could be forgiven. And we have an opportunity today to thank God for that mercy and grace. We celebrate our salvation an impossible debt freely forgiven. And we celebrate our new life as adopted sons and daughters of the King. And we look forward to the return of Jesus, our Savior and our Lord. In a minute, I'll invite you to stand up from where you are and to exit your row on the right-hand side to get a piece of bread and a cup of juice and then return to your seat. And when everyone is ready, we will eat and drink together. And if you need someone to bring the elements to you, you can put up your hand and someone will come to you with a cup and with some bread. Communion is for anyone who has put their trust in Jesus Christ. And it doesn't matter if this is your first time at Richview or if you are a long time attender. If you are a follower of Jesus, we invite you to join us in communion. If you are not a follower of Jesus, I want to encourage you to stay in your seat. And take this time to reflect on the truths that you heard today about Jesus, about healing and reconciliation and forgiveness. There's a song that we've sung a couple of times now that says, if you, if you have pain, Jesus is a pain taker. And if you feel lost, Jesus is a way maker. And if you need freedom or saving, he's a prison shaking savior. If you've got chains, he is a chain breaker. So as we celebrate today, I want it to be a celebration. Now, as you get the elements, remember what they're for. Remember what we're celebrating. We should be filled with joy. 
as we celebrate together today. So go ahead now, stand up from where you are, exit your row on the right-hand side, get a piece of bread and a cup of juice, and then return to your seat. When everyone is ready, we will eat and drink together. And if you need someone to bring them to you, just please put your hand up high until someone comes, and they'll bring those elements to you. 